Then people began to think that we should have a hospital south of the Fraser. Nothing very much happened until the Royal Columbian Hospital put a notice in a paper that they no longer wished to admit patients from Surrey. Now I'll tell you, that got the ball rolling. That's the late Ellen Sinclair Kennett speaking about the origins of what would eventually become today's Peace Arch Hospital. Ellen's inspiring story is so closely intertwined with the hospitals that a nearby donor-funded residential care facility was renamed in her honor. In this special episode of Power to Heal, we'll look at the life and times of this extraordinary person whose contributions to the well-being of her community continue to resonate to this day. We'll hear from three women who know from firsthand experience why Ellen Sinclair Kennett was twice honored as Citizen of the Year and awarded the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal for her outstanding contributions to the White Rock South Surrey community. And we'll hear more from Ellen herself in an interview recorded in 2016. This is The Power to Heal, In this series of podcasts, we'll focus on the many innovative ways Peace Arch Hospital, located in White Rock, British Columbia, Canada, has been an integral part of its community. We'll take you behind the scenes of the hospital's dynamic fundraising arm and talk to those who are instrumental in creating new initiatives to help this important healthcare facility grow and evolve along with the town it serves. In June 2023, the Peace Arch Hospital Foundation Lodge was renamed the Ellen Sinclair Kennett Lodge. This new name reflects the foundation's first board chair, hospital auxiliary member, healthcare trailblazer, and White Rock South Surrey community advocate, Ellen Sinclair Kennett. Starting in 1948, Ellen began fundraising for what would become Peace Arch Hospital and continued to advocate for and support Peace Arch right up to her passing in October 2022. To celebrate the life of a woman who has been called a true community champion, we brought together three people who knew Ellen and her commitment to giving back very well. Lynn Sinclair, a former teacher and White Rock City Councillor, is Ellen's daughter from her mother's first marriage. Jane Manning is a former board chair of the Peace Arch Hospital and Community Health Foundation, who worked closely with Ellen during retirement home visits and fundraising events. And Stephanie Beck, Peace Arch Hospital Foundation's executive director. She would often call on Ellen for expert advice during her earlier role with the foundation as director of major gifts. Lynn, Jane, and Stephanie spoke with longtime White Rock South Surrey resident and veteran television and radio broadcaster Wayne Cox. Well, it's hard to know where to start when we uh, talk about someone with so many accomplishments and who's had such an impact on the White Rock South Surrey community. So we might as well start right at the very beginning. Lynn, maybe you can help us out. I understand your mom grew up on a farm in Cloverdale. And you must have a lot of memories about that and some of the things that she shared with you over the years. She talked a lot about Cloverdale and her parents, and I knew her parents very, very well. My grandparents, I would go and stay with them. But she spoke a lot about the hard work. My grandfather would farm in the morning, farm in the evening, and work in the day painting. My grandparents were both Danish. They were immigrants. They met actually in Chicago, so they didn't come over together. 
and ended up in Cloverdale. And my grandfather was a real artisan. He'd apprenticed seven years to be a painter and he would work all day painting and then do the farming morning and night. And my grandmother would do all the dairy work. She would make money selling coffee cream and whipping cream and butter and eggs. And it was very hard work. When they had mom, nanny was 40 something and Baba was in his 50s. So mom was an only child with older parents. And I think she always appreciated what a good life they gave her. And she would work in the fields. She would get jobs. She talked about having to go on her way to school. She would go and pick up things for Nanny. And then on her way home, she'd have to get some meat out of the locker at the Surrey Co-op. At that point, they had the Surrey Co-op and they had the ability to have frozen meat because they didn't have a refrigerator at home. So she would have to go into that freezer. And she said she just remembered how cold it was. And I know one thing that she really didn't like was taking care of chickens. So a thousand little chicks would come every spring and uh, they would be in brooding houses with charcoal briquettes heated warm that way. Sounded dangerous to me. And then every night, Nanny or Baba would have to go out and make sure the chicks didn't smother themselves because they would herd into a corner. And when she got older, she started having to clean out chicken houses and things like that. She really didn't like it, which I think is why she liked cooking chicken so much. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of revenge there somehow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of hard work and uh, kind of a tough upbringing. How did that translate into volunteer work? I've been thinking about that because mom never really had much time off and she watched her parents work that hard. And I think for her, volunteering was partly instilled in her from her parents who came as immigrants and who also had the Danish belief of a collective, you know, doing more for others and having social programs. And I think she was raised with the philosophy that you left the world in a better place than when you found it. And she didn't know how to relax in some ways. She had a great time, don't get me wrong, but she was a hard worker. If she saw something that needed to be done, she did it. I think that was the way she was raised. Being an only child and with farmers, they couldn't leave the farm, so there were no holidays. But she was very lucky once in a while, another family would take her to White Rock and camp for a week. So White Rock was her favorite place. She always wanted to live in White Rock and she ended up getting to do that. But I think she associated with holidays because she really so rarely had one. How did they ever come up with the phrase, the good old days? I mean, that's, <laughs> that sounds like an awful lot of work to me. Well, you know, it was, but it was also a kinder, gentler time in some ways. I think there were 600 people in Cloverdale. They knew each other. They helped each other. During the Depression, Mom always mentioned that Nanny would always have a meal for men who would come who were out of work and hungry. Farmers helped each other. The men would come over to their farm, and they always said they liked coming there because Nanny gave them such a good meal. She was a really great cook. Stephanie, when we talk about those early days, I guess we also have to remember, for people around here, the White Rock, Cloverdale, the South Surrey area, back there, they had to go to... New Westminster, I guess, was the closest place if they wanted to get any kind of medical treatment at a hospital. And Ellen played a very important role in managing to get a hospital here in the White Rock area. Yeah, that's true, Wayne. Ellen told me the story several times in her charming way about how 
Surrey got their first hospital. She let me know that New Westminster put a newspaper ad in the local paper saying that they were no longer interested in having any patients from Surrey come to their hospital for treatment. So therefore, Surrey residents came together and had two committees that they struck up to see where they could actually put a hospital in Surrey. And of course, Surrey being as large as it was, there was quite a conversation about whether to put it more in northern Surrey or in southern Surrey. And back then, White Rock was Ward 7 of the city of Surrey. So it wasn't its own city at that point in time in the late 40s. And the committee responsible in the White Rock area went to petition the government to have a hospital built. And the government said, sure, but you have to raise a third of the cost, which was $150,000 back then. This was in the late 40s, so 1947, 1948. And so that was a tremendous amount of money back then, for sure. And so really, the ladies auxiliary got started for the hospital. And they're the ones that raised those initial funds. And they did it within a number of years to build the first White Rock and District Hospital. And where does Ellen enter into the picture in this whole scheme of things, Stephanie? Well, Ellen sat on the hospital board of trustees for 12 years. And that's before our health authorities were formed. Every hospital had a board of trustees associated with the hospital that ran the hospital. And so she was in that role for 12 years in the late 80s. And then when hospital foundations were formed, and in our case, our hospital foundation was formed in 1988, Ellen became our very first board chair of the hospital foundation board. And she served two years as our board chair. And I understand at that particular time, a lot of the boards were made up pretty much solely of men. There weren't many women in the organizations. Is that true? That is correct, Wayne. So she was really a female trailblazer in our community, getting involved in not only our organization, but a number of other organizations not the least of which is the Peace Arch Hospital Auxiliary, where she was president and vice president of that organization when it was at its largest point. It had over 500 members and was considered one of the largest hospital auxiliaries in Canada at that time. She managed on a purely volunteer level to run that organization. And that was just one of her many endeavors that she was involved in. (laughs) (laughs) A very busy lady. For the past five years, I've had the pleasure of speaking to residents in retirement homes and to members of service clubs. Today, I will give you the brief history of early healthcare, the building of our hospital, and the beginnings of our hospital auxiliary. I feel that I'm able to do this because it will soon be 87 years since I was born in Cloverdale. When Ellen Sinclair Kennett recorded those comments in 2016, she was looking back on another of her passions, engaging with seniors and sharing with them her extensive knowledge of the region's colorful history, including the people who contributed to its growth and success. It was part of what made Ellen such an effective fundraiser in her community. 
I'd like to bring in Jane Manning at this point in our conversation. Jane, you worked closely with Ellen on a number of fundraising campaigns and visits to retirement homes, that kind of thing. What was your first impression of her? I just liked her. I like Lynn and Stephanie, I'm sure, was reflecting back with these very poignant questions because she meant the world to me. She was a second mom. My mom was a bit prickly. Ellen was my listening ear. So I really feel we formed an immediate friendship, which then evolved into this wonderful talking to our community. Ellen with her, oh my gosh, knowledge and history. And then I'm bringing up the middle and where we're going. And she's done such a great way of explaining things. Every home that we visited, assisted living or independent or both, she knew someone. And that always segued into a beautiful memory. And then it softened criticism of our hospital. It allowed me to share what we were doing, where we were going, why financial support would be most appreciated. It was a joy to do. We loved doing them. And she was pretty cute, Lynn. I don't know if you heard the story. I think Stephanie remembers it. Stephanie, you might have even been there setting up with us, is that we were asked back to one of the independent suites. This is our first speech going back to this independent suite and Ellen saying, I don't think we need any more tea or anything. Do you think we need any more? I said, no. And we were given a check. And the person that wrote the check was thrilled and we were over the top. And when we came out quietly and heading back to the car, Ellen goes, that's quite a paycheck for a little discussion. I said, but you only get half. (laughs) (laughs) And of course the hospital got it all, but it was a very generous gift to the hospital. And it solidified what, we felt, and there was total support by the foundation for doing this, but it solidified that we had an important and valid role to play in connecting our more senior people who knew some of the history. It connected with their children and often their grandchildren. So we were spreading the word, and I think we did a phenomenal job. Well, Ellen did a phenomenal job. I brought up the rear. I was absolutely thrilled to be involved. It sounds like she was involved in so many organizations. Maybe I could get a collective here and to see how many organizations that she was a member of or participated in. I'll open it up to anyone who wants to start the list because I understand it's a sizable list. Yeah, I don't think there's an organization in our community that she hasn't participated in in some way. Certainly, I can start off by saying, you know, not only was she very much involved in the auxiliary and the hospital foundation, but she was also one of the founding members of Brella, which was formerly known as as the Seniors Come Share Society here in our community. So she was very involved in that organization, serving on the board for 12 years. I actually have to look at a list when I talk about all of the different organizations that she has helped and volunteered at in our community because it really is that long. She served on the First United Church Council for over 20 years. She served on the board of the Peninsula Arts Foundation and also served two years as chair. She served at the annual Kiwanis Music Festival. She was very involved in her children's education, and I'll let Lynn speak to that a bit more. Lynn? She was on the White Rock Elementary PTA, of course, 
she became the chair of the uh, White Rock Junior Band Parents Council because we were a brand new band. We didn't have a music program until then, and I was in grade 10, I think, and uh, we didn't have uniforms. So she decided that we had to have uniforms when we performed. She raised with a whole group of parents and my little sister helped. They would sell donuts once a week and then they discovered that didn't make enough money. So mom put on a dance at the Catholic Community Center, which was so popular, she had to ask the janitor if he would stay another hour because people didn't want to go home. And they finally had the money for the uniforms. You know, she would come to our games. She would take us to all kinds of sports. And we all learned how to swim. I mean, I ended up teaching swimming on the beach and lifeguarding because she would push the buggy down. I think my brother would have been in the buggy at that point, down that hill to the beach and we'd make sure we got lessons to learn how to swim. She actually was on the committee that developed the coat of arms for White Rock. Mom and dad were invited to join the yacht club, the White Rock Yacht Club, and nobody owned a boat except maybe Dr. Blades, but it was to put on dances and they would have costumes. I remember all of them coming to mom and dad's house dressed in the, one year it was Robinson Crusoe and they all had appropriate outfits. There was the Semi-Ammo Sailing Club as well, which we did have a boat by then and it was a real sailing club. And, you know, there were those kinds of things that provided a lot of family enjoyment and, uh, the camping trips. She didn't belong to anything to do that, but when I think of all the work she did to make our family have such a great upbringing, it's kind of incredible. I have to sit down and just uh, take a rest here with all that. I mean, I'm exhausted just listening to that list. Lynn, it must have been a hectic household for you to grow up in with all this. Your mother's doing so many things and there's are kids and there's a husband and there's, yeah, it must have been exhausting for you. You know, I don't think we noticed. We just enjoyed every minute. I think she made it appear seamless, honestly. When I think back, we didn't even make our own beds. It's shameful. She would be up and down. It was a pretty big house, and I don't know how she did it, but she also made all the preserves, which she learned from her mother, because you had to preserve everything in those days without refrigeration or any other kind of preservation but she made so many things there were jams and pickles and all kinds of things but the one thing she didn't do was sew and she and I would spend hours when I first had to go to home ec eight and take sewing we would sit at the sewing machine in the kitchen and we would cry because we'd sew the arm inside out (laughs) and eventually I passed that course but That was the one thing I found she couldn't do. (laughs) The one thing. Jane, the time you spent with Ellen, did she ever share any special thoughts with you about supporting health care and why it was important to give to the community in that particular area? I'm not trying to make this, I don't know if the word would even be trite, but I came up with one small sentence, short for me. It was just the right thing to do. It was the right thing to do, to help other people. And how best could you help more and more people and then through your hospital? She led by example, and she had that wonderful blended family. And one of our past chairs has said, one of your grandchildren, one of your children end up at the hospital (laughs) sooner or later. And I just felt that she just, she wanted to do that, but she also felt it was not only imperative, it was the right thing to do. And she just gave it her all. You must agree, Lynn, that having an extended family like that, having so many people in the family, I'm sure the hospital played a very big part 
in your life. And I'm sure that was part of why your mother thought it was so important. Yes, it certainly did. My mom, she had two children at Peace Arch Hospital. I was born in Cranbrook and Kay was born at Royal Columbian because the hospital was just about to open but hadn't quite opened when Kay was born. And mom herself was born at the Royal Columbian and, you know, had a lot of experience as a child with scarlet fever. She was quarantined. My grandfather fell off a scaffolding at Kensington Prairie Elementary and he had a broken back and ribs and a torn out shoulder. And he was at Royal Columbian for months. It was a very long time. And she and Nanny had to only go once a week. They couldn't go more often than that on the bus to visit him. So I think those informed her about the importance of healthcare in your community, not far away. But in terms of the Kennets, my stepsisters and brothers, I think all of them were born at Peace Arch Hospital. I remember the day my little sister was born because I was in grade seven and three girlfriends and I went from school and the dog had, of course, come to school because that's what he always did. And he came with us to the hospital and we were not allowed to see mom. We could only look in the window and see Kim and the nurse held up Kim. And meanwhile, the dog heard mom or knew mom was there and found her and leapt up on the bed. So we got in a bit of trouble that day. But, you know, it was a very important place. And mom had appendicitis. You know, there were things that happened along the way when she needed that hospital. It was incredible at the end of her life to have the incredible care she got in our hospital. For our family, we go to the hospital and there's mom and Howie's picture in the lobby. We go to Weatherby and there's mom's name on a plaque in the wall. I think for her grandchildren, it really opened their eyes. They had no idea. They've never lived here. I mean, they're from California. I just think it would be good for people to hear that the health care we get is still good. We hear a lot of negative things. You know, Stephanie, we talk about the hospital. We talk about the fundraising that's so very important. And I understand that Ellen was also a mentor to you back when you were directing Major Gifts. Can you speak on that for us? Sure. I was first introduced to Ellen when I started at the foundation about 15 years ago. And at first I was like, who is this lovely lady who's interacting with the staff all the time? Like I knew she wasn't a staff member. And the existing staff said, well, that's Ellen. She's just always volunteered for the organization and she's always helped out in any way that she could. So even though she wasn't on the board any longer, she was always involved in some of our campaigns or letting us know the historical context of our hospital and helping us out in any which way that she could. And that's one of the ways she did that was by going on these speaking engagements with Jane to the various extended care and assisted living facilities in our community. And also she would speak at other events for us throughout the year for some of our donor events. So Ellen has always been part of my experience here at Peace Arch Hospital Foundation. And just her having had the role of being the board chair and leading this wonderful group of volunteers and staff throughout the years and her knowledge of the community has just been so instrumental in mentoring myself and helping me when there's been challenging times, especially within the healthcare system. You know, we're dealing with people's emotions when they're at a very vulnerable time in their life. 
with our donors and our patients here at the hospital. So having Ellen's guidance and wisdom along the way, you know, I knew I could call on her whenever I needed to. You know, I visited her many, many times during the last few years of her life when she was living in assisted living and enjoyed my time with her immensely. She always had a story that she could share about something that had happened in the past, which was relevant to the situation at hand. So it was my great pleasure calling Ellen a good friend of mine in the last number of years. Well, with the uh, recent renaming of the Peace Arch Hospital Foundation Lodge in her honor, Ellen's legacy of caring and community building will continue to resonate for generations to come. And Stephanie, how did this renaming come about and why was it important to the foundation? With Ellen's long career of giving back to the community, not just our hospital and our hospital foundation, but the entire community, and looking at an opportunity to name this facility that both she and her husband, her spouse, had passed away in over the last couple of years. She was so supportive of having the lodge being built. She thought it was a wonderful idea. She wholeheartedly supported the decision for the foundation to enter into this first of its kind agreement with Fraser Health, where a hospital foundation actually builds a facility for a health authority to lease 100%. You know, she was very innovative and entrepreneurial in her own way as a leader, as a volunteer in the community. So it just seemed like such a natural fit when the opportunity presented itself to name this facility in Ellen's honor. Goodness knows there's a lot of streets and community places, municipal places that are named after the great work that men do in our community, but there certainly aren't enough that are named after the great work that women do in the community. And especially of Ellen's era, there was a lot more community work and volunteerism that women did that they did not get recognition for as much as, let's say, the men in the community did for their hard work in the community. So I felt it was really important as well to honor female leader in our community in such a manner. She has made such an impact on so many organizations over the last 60 years in this community that I really wanted to honor that legacy for her family as well. Dorothy Blaze and Alice Murray went door to door in White Rock asking the women if they would like to form a hospital auxiliary. Many of them said yes. So the first five groups were formed in 1948. They were neighborhood groups that had to be that way because a lot of women did not drive. And if there was a family car, it would go to work with the worker of the house. By the end of that first year, the auxiliary was able to turn over a check in the amount of $1,000 to the hospital society. Well, fundraising really began in earnest. The whole community became involved. Ellen's introduction to fundraising and hospital auxiliaries in the late 1940s set her on a lifelong journey as a healthcare trailblazer and community advocate. Her tireless efforts to make a positive difference created a deep impression on many people, not least of whom was her daughter, Lynn. 
Well, Lynn, uh, you must be very, very proud to have the foundation turn around and rename the lodge in her honor. And I'm assuming that careers that you've had, teacher and White Rock City counselor, a lot of that must have come from things your mother has said over the years and something that she's instilled in you. Yes, I think our whole family is incredibly proud. And I think in particular, you know, mom had three daughters and she was really a role model for us. When I started reflecting, this made me think a lot. And I always told her how important she was to me as a role model. But to think about it and realize, I want to say that, first of all, the volunteers that mom did was incredibly important to her, too, because she, as an only child of older parents, had been advised after graduating top of her class at high school to stay home and make sure her parents were cared for. She wanted to be a nurse. And I think the volunteerism for her in this community allowed her to reach her potential in so many ways. She spoke about learning how to public speak, learning how to run a meeting, learning how to lead people. She loved every minute of it. So as much as she gave... I think she would say she got just as much back. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say that. But for young women that we were to have that as, she was fearless. And so I often wonder, well, how the heck did I decide to run for council? What gave me that confidence? And I have to go back and think that was my mother. And I think I owe her a great debt. And so do all of us in her family. Mm. Well, Jane, you've also been board chair of the Peace Arch Hospital Foundation. You've contributed your time to fundraising campaigns while well, the new uh, ER department, which is fabulous, by the way. And like Ellen, you know that one person can make a big difference in the lives of others. So what advice do you have to some young people who maybe want to bring about some positive change in the community? And without being overwhelmed, saying, oh, it's too much, but one person can make a difference. Absolutely. One person can make a difference. I think the only thing is that they don't make as many Ellens. She was able to have passion for really everything. And I think young people these days, we're lucky enough to direct them in something that resonates with them and gets them engaged and gets their eyes sparkling. It may not be healthcare. It may be just wanting to, well, Lynn and I both were swimming instructors. I love to swim and I loved kids. And my father thought it made sense that one would love to swim, one would love to work with children. And that's what I did. And then I was too a special education teacher. And then I got involved with the arts. And it was passion that I feel, and please, everyone else jump in if you think it's not correct, that the passion really helps drive your involvement. And I think Ellen was a fabulous mentor, both to myself and Stephanie. She had a passion for people, and that passion for people got her into these other directions which formed these results. And I think if we can get our young people to find something that just clicks with them and develops empathy and kindness, we've got it made. I think leading by example, I certainly encourage people that uh, express interest in the swimming or they express interest in tennis or whatever, follow your passion and give back. You know, I read a quote the other day by Cooper Allen and I immediately thought of Ellen, leave a legacy of love. And I think Ellen left 
a phenomenal legacy of love. And I feel so blessed that she was in my life. And I reflect often of she and Paul with their walkers <laughs> going down the hall at Morgan Creek, seeing if my husband could beat her, she could beat Paul. And she spread her love and included my husband and my family and was always interested. And uh, I know that's detracting from your main question, but it goes back. I'm glad I had the passion for the hospital and ultimately ended up knowing and loving Ellen. That's my answer. <laughs> Thank you very much. Jane and Stephanie and Lynn, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts and your memories about Ellen Sinclair Kennett, truly a remarkable lady. Thank you all. For our final audio clip from Ellen's 2016 reminiscence of the events that helped create today's Peace Arch Hospital, an important community resource towards which she contributed so much, Here she is reading from a letter written by the woman who donated the land upon which the future hospital would be built. And while the sentiments may have been written by another, they seem to perfectly capture the love felt by Ellen Sinclair Kennett for her community and the people in it. I love White Rock and its people. I love the springs and autumns and the glorious summer days. Every time I thought of selling my land, the thought of a hospital with well-kept grounds and driveways would flash before me. And I felt that the site must be kept for no other purpose. Amy F. Weatherby. I always become a little choked myself when I read that because I love White Rock. The Power to Heal podcast, presented by Peace Arch Hospital Foundation in White Rock, British Columbia, takes you behind the scenes of an innovative hospital foundation and introduces you to the team who find new and sometimes surprising ways to engage with the local community and help fund the best healthcare possible in the region. Since 1988, the foundation has raised over $210 million for capital projects, medical equipment, and community health programs. Their passionate and caring team's number one priority is the prudent stewardship of your gifts and the resulting positive impact on patients and medical staff at Peace Arch Hospital and the entire White Rock South Surrey community. Peace Arch Hospital Foundation, where innovation comes to life in so many ways. The simple act of giving is truly transformational. Every dollar we receive is enhancing healthcare in this community, whether it's supporting our capital infrastructure, the purchase of essential medical equipment, or funding a wellness program like stroke recovery or a children's club to encourage health habits and active play. Our wide range of giving options includes monthly donations, an increasingly popular and convenient choice that makes the greatest impact on your community hospital. You just sign up once and the rest is automatic. And that includes receiving a consolidated tax receipt at the end of the year. But no matter what giving option you choose, it all matters and it all makes a difference. On the next episode of Power to Heal, I love every moment of it and I love to see the interaction and it's so calming like that sometimes people are back to their old selves again when they come out in the garden and they chat and they tell you stories. It's absolutely amazing and it just happens spontaneously. It really, really does. 
What happens when a former Peace Arch Hospital nurse with a love for gardening turns that passion towards creating a tranquil, reflective space for hospice patients and their families? In our next episode, you'll meet Caroline, an expert on plants and shrubs and their ability to enrich end-of-life care and raise patients' overall well-being and mental health. Therapeutic Horticulture and the Hospice Garden, next time on Power to Heal. Thanks for listening. Another Everything Podcast production. Visit everythingpodcast.com. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast.